Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Let's talk about death. No, really, what happens after death? Also, if for some crazy reason you could stand my voice more, I got another podcast called Two Dudes in a Canoe. Search it now, hit subscribe. It's very different, but I think you'll like it. Having said that, let's get into it. Well, back I was driving down River Road, uh, you know, past the cemeteries on, on River Road, and I had um, the three girls in, in the back of my truck, and, and one of them asked, she said, what are the big, Dad, what are the big buildings in, in the cemetery? I said, oh, those are mausoleums. I said, oh, what are mausoleums? I said, well, they uh, stick dead people in coffins, and then they shove them in the walls. And um, <laughs> I'm a really good homeschooler, by the way. Um, so I said, I said, but I, I said, like, girls, those walls are, like, lined with, with people in coffins. And, and my middle child, she gets this horrified look on her face, and she said, I was coughing this morning. Are you going to stick me in the wall? <laughs> it's a coughing coffin. It's a beautiful mind of a child. But I remember as a kid, even around my kids' age, uh, and I wonder if you did the same thing, I'm just laying in bed, trying to fall asleep, thinking about everlasting life and what that even like is like, you know? Uh, if life goes on, which we believe it does, if there's everlasting life, like what does that actually look like? I couldn't wrap my mind around it as a kid. I still can't. It's, it's unnerving. As a kid, I'm just laying there in bed going, man, that means in a thousand years, I'm still going to be around. In a hundred thousand years, I'm just, like, I'm going to look back on this little life as like this short little blip of a memory. In a million years, will I even remember my life back on earth? In a billion years, in a trillion years, just laying in bed, freaking myself out. It's like the, uh, it's like the rope illustration. i got a rope up here. I, uh, I saw another pastor do this a while back. I used to do this all the time when I was a youth pastor. I don't know if you've ever seen this rope illustration. Uh, nothing new. I've been has been talking about for a long time, but I you know, it's, it's such a great illustration. You just pretend this rope right here goes on forever. Now it doesn't. It ends behind the drum cage, but just pretend with me that this rope goes on forever, and you imagine that this little purple part on the rope is your existence. This little purple part, tiny little, tiny little part, is your time in this life. This is the dash between your birth date and your death date. This tiny little part is right now, and you'll be spending the rest, the vast, vast, vast majority, someplace else. And here's what gets me. Most of us only ever think of this purple part. That's all we're talking about. Some of us are only even really thinking about the end of the purple part. I just want to put myself in a really good position so that I can enjoy the end of this little purple part right here. Not wondering what position we're putting ourselves in for the rest of the rope, for forever. We're so consumed with this tiny little sliver, yet Scripture teaches us, and this is what we're going to look at today. Scripture teaches us that what you do with this little, this little sliver determines how you're going to exist for millions and millions and millions and millions of years. Yet we're so consumed with just this part. And the last part of the creed forces us to go beyond the purple part and really consider the rope as a whole. And so that's what we're going to do today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, is the chapter we're going to be in today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we enter into this text, we actually enter into a town that we're pretty familiar with. We spent the first half of 2021 in this town. It's Corinth, Greece. Corinth carries this 
this certain energy. The, the harbor acts as this revolving door as ships from all around the known world come and go and come and go, dropping off exotic materials and rare spices and strange goods. The sailors at the harbor, they're unloading, they're arguing over the docks. I mean, there's just this certain energy as you walk into Corinth. Down the street, there's the marketplace that, that bustles, showcasing the latest items that the ships have brought into the harbor. I mean, people from over the hills and people from down the shore walk over just to peek at the displays of the market's newest trends. I mean, there's just this energy here, and it's a relentless energy. Even as the marketplace closes, the back alleyways come to life, providing entertainment and booze-filled buzzes and sex for the lonely bored sailor. I mean, within the city limits, there's just this contagious energy. Outside the city limits tells a different story. Before reaching the energy-packed city, the outskirts will remind you of what ultimately lies ahead. Marked graves, tombs, memorials pepper the outskirts of town. As if to tell each passerby, we once felt the energy in there too. See, inside the city limits, it's exhilarating. Outside the city limits is depressing. It's 2,000 years ago, but it's just like today. Each Corinthian carried their own belief about death. I mean, whatever gave them comfort at funerals or, or peace as they walked by those graves outside the city. And while most people believe that different things about the afterlife, the commonly held Greek thought was the body after death was of no value. It's garbage. It served its purpose. Resurrection was absolutely absurd in Hellenistic thought. That was the popular thought. But every time a, a Corinthian held a cold loved one who had just passed, it hurt to think that they were once precious and, and meaningful, to think now it's, it's completely worthless, that hurt. And so let's just bury the body and try to forget about it. Bury the body, then go inside, inside the city and stimulate yourself and distract yourself in the city from the reality that lies ahead of you and inevitably of me and you as well. It's why the words that we're about to read to this church in this little city is radically fascinating it still hits us today. My guess is you've never thought this way before. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, Paul writes, Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. So Paul says a dead body, is, it's certainly not worthless like Hellenistic thought would say. It's like an acorn. It will one day rise so far better than it ever was, like a mighty oak. You ever plant a seed? Nicole likes to, to plant gardens with my girls. Especially at our old house, we had like a, a bigger backyard, and the, uh, the quarter, like, the, the back quarter of it was, was wild. So we, we planted like pumpkins and, and tomatoes and, and peppers. It was, uh, I mean, there's just something, I don't know if you like this, but there's something about like, when you eat a vegetable, it just tastes better when you planted it. You know, I, I don't know if there's something to that, but, um, so we were, we were doing that, you know, peppers and tomatoes and all that. Uh, one year we had 20 pumpkins, and the kids were so pumped. I, I was about to open a pumpkin farm, and it was like... <laughs> You know, you feel like you feel like your Whole Foods guy. Like, watch out, people! There's a new organic guy in the block. But it's it, it's fun to take it's fun to take a seed and put it in the ground and then watch what becomes of, of that little seed. And that's what Paul is saying here in the text. He's saying, as you are at a Christian funeral, what you're doing is you're putting a seed in the ground. And what a sight to see one day! What that body becomes after being planted in the ground. The body will resurrect far better than it ever was. And where Paul gets this from, other than the Holy Spirit, of course the Holy Spirit is, is working through Paul here, but Paul also gets this from Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel writes, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life. So dust here means, means death. 
Years ago, maybe you remember like, being at a funeral that did this. I don't think they do this anymore. I've never done a funeral that, that did this. I think it's cool. Do it at my funeral if you remember. But when you lower a casket into the ground, they would take like dirt and they would sprinkle it over the casket. And if you ever do this, you remember what you would say? Like ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which comes from Genesis, you know, where God said, you, you were made from the dust and to the dust you shall return. Like our bodies will return to dust and our soul at that moment separates from our body, enters the presence of God. And as a kid, I didn't pay much attention in Bible class or church. I thought that was it. So like our soul separates from our body. We go to be with God forever. Like our bodies are no more. I didn't know that my teacher kept on talking. I just thought, well, that's the end. So why, why even keep listening? I just thought that's the end. No, no heaven is, is like this super awesome waiting room right now. Because throughout scripture, God tells us over and over and over, no, my people will rise. Physically, I made them from the dust. I will resurrect them from the dust. I will rewrap their soul with their body again. It's nothing for me. This is what I do. And Paul puts it beautifully in verse 42 when he says, they're planted into the ground, but they will be raised to live forever. It's like a seed put in the ground. It will rise far greater than it ever was before. And what a thought at every Christian funeral, at every Christian gravesite. We're just, we're just planting a seed. It's sad. We're just planting a seed. They will rise like a mighty oak, a resurrected, glorified body, far better than it was before, and we will enter the new earth. No floating on clouds or playing harps as fat babies. That sounds more like hell. No, we will enter, <laughs> enter the new earth where we will live, we will eat, we will drink, we will serve, we will worship, we will party, we will work, and we will live in peace. No politics. Yes, the Democrat donkey, Republican elephant are gone. Goodbye donkey, goodbye elephant. The lion has taken over now. And it'll be sweet. See, this isn't home. Sometimes I just need, like, especially today, tell so many Christians that. Why are you whining so much? It's not home. As a writing exercise, last year I planned my own funeral, which sounds really morbid and really dark, but uh, it was a really good exercise for me. Just to be able to look back on my life and and rethink, you know, how I'm spending it right now, what I actually want said, and what I want thought at my own funeral. And uh, one song that I want played at my funeral is the song, Where I Belong. It's this beautiful song. Love, love the lyrics. I'm going to read these lyrics to you. The song goes like this. It says, feeling like a refugee, like it don't belong to me. This air feels strange to me, but I'm not sentimental. This skin and bones is a rental, and no one makes it out alive. Until I die, I'll sing these songs on the shores of Babylon, still looking for a home in a world where I belong, where the weak are finally strong, where the righteous right the wrongs. I'm still looking for a home in a world where I belong. I mean, I, I love that. We don't belong here. And too often, again, I, I'm guilty of this. Too often we find ourselves upset about the world drama. Ah, the world's going to trash. It's like, yeah, it's, it's been headed that way ever since the fall. We're outsiders. We're living like refugees. This air is supposed to feel strange to me. The skin and bones is just a rental. It'll return to dust, but it will rise to where it belongs, home, a world where I belong. That is a future, that is a hope that believers have held on to for thousands of years. That is our hope. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And then Paul gets even more creative. This next verse, you might want this next verse on your tombstone. It's just it's beautiful. It's so B.A. I love it. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. 
Paul says, when you, Corinthians, when you walk outside of, of Corinth, you don't need to walk by the Christian graves on the outskirts of town with, with a somberness. Oh, sure, it's sad we miss them, but the day is coming. The broken body will be raised to glory. Those weak bones will assume strength. This is why, if you were to go to visit the, the catacombs, a lot of Christians are buried in, in the catacombs, and you'd find on a lot of the Christian graves, there's, a, there's a markings of phoenixes on the Christian graves because of the, the, you know, the legend of the phoenix. You know, the, the phoenix dies, becomes ashes, and then it rises again from its ashes. And this is the Christian's way of saying, we're going to do the same thing. We're coming back. And it all comes from the victory that Jesus had in his grave. Jesus' grave is empty. Ours will be too because we follow him out. Point number one in our notes is our resurrection is brought to you by his resurrection. Our resurrection is brought to you by his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection wasn't just the KO on his death. It was on ours as well. That's why uh, David, King David in the Psalms, he calls death the valley of the shadow of death. That's the death for believers. It's just a shadow. F.B. Meyer, he's a, he's a London, he was a London and, uh, pastor. He's a friend of D.L. Moody. Love this guy. He was planted in the ground in 1929. This guy's an incredible, incredible writer. He, he wrote this. He wrote, Christ met the substance of death. We encounter but the shadow. The monsters deprived of teeth and claws. The wasp stung the good shepherd to death and has left his sting fixed in that cross. Christ met the substance. We only meet the shadow. It's why when we die, it's the valley of the shadow of death. You might think, well, that, that still sounds pretty scary, Valley of the Shadow of Death. Okay, let me put it this way. Would you rather get hit by a truck or its shadow? Christ met the substance we encounter but the shadow. Jesus took on death and let, left it toothless and clawless. Where's your sting, death? It's stuck in the empty cross. Jesus hung there and took it all. He walked out of his grave. We will too. Our resurrection is brought to you by his resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Our graves will explode. The seed springs forth. A glorified body will reclothe the soul. I mean, what a day. What a day. Whether or not you consciously look forward to that, our soul groans for it. God created you with this internal longing for this right here. Brokenness to glory, weakness to strength, all in the presence of God. We, we talked a lot about this uh, last May in our question series and. uh I illustrated it with, with a store tag. I don't have one on me, but, you know, like a, a store tag in the store, if you were to take something out of the store, you know, the alarms start going off at the door. And so I actually brought a, a store tag uh, and, 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 you know, was talking about it. And it's just like our souls, right? Ever since, the, ever since we were kicked out of the garden, our soul is like our store tag. It's been like going off like an alarm, bah, 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 wanting to get back into the presence of, of God, just like the merchandise needs to be returned back to the store when the, with the store tag. In fact, after, that, after I shared that illustration, I went to uh, Target over here on Rand, and I forgot I had it in my jacket. So I walked into the store, and the alarm started going off, like security came running over, and I was like, I swear, I don't have any merchandise. I'm a pastor, and I use it as a sermon illustration. Like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Got out of it. But, um, but that, that's our soul. Your, your soul, when it, when it left the presence of God, ever since it left the garden, it's been groaning to be returned back to the presence of God. The Jews call this shalom. The way things should be, the, the presence of God, where tears are wiped away, where wrongs are righted. We, we, we groan for it every time we pass by the outskirts of Corinth. Every time we're near death, there's, there's just that, that groan in our soul. I groaned for Shalom two weeks ago at a funeral for a 14-year-old boy. He's part of our church in Chicago. He's a good kid. He was, was up at camp with him a couple weeks this, this summer, shot in the chest by his brother accidentally. 
14-year-old, just laying there in his coffin, little stuffed animals and, and, and basketball cards. You look at that and you're like, man, you can't help but think, it shouldn't be like this. This is what, this is what God intended. And sin has messed up this world. That store tag in your soul is just going off. But Jesus' resurrection turns graves into gardens. A seed will be planted. We will rise to a new world, a world that we inwardly groan for. I believe in the resurrection of the body, and I believe it makes all the difference in the world. I believe it makes a difference in our perspective. It makes a difference in how we live. Uh, last Sunday, uh, an older guy approached me before our, our, uh, our service. He said that it was his last um, weekend at church. He's moving away. He's been coming to church for decades. And um, He said, man, Junior, it's my last Sunday. But before I moved, I wanted to ask you in person, would you do my funeral? Which seems like a really odd question, but I get this all the time. And I don't really even know why. I'm not great at funerals, by the way. Like, I'm really, don't ask me to do yours. I'm very awkward at funerals. I say all the wrong things. Like this one funeral I did last, last year is uh, this woman's funeral. Um, she asked me to do her funeral, and she's an older woman, and she's hard, she was harder of hearing, so she always spoke really, really loud. And uh, any time that I spoke and she was there, she would always answer my rhetorical questions out loud for everybody, everybody to hear. So I got up to do her funeral. I said, man, it's just so weird that she's gone. It's even more weird that she's up here and she's not interrupting me right now, which I thought was, like, really funny. But my wife is not happy. Because it was her grandma. But <laughs> I haven't gone to a family reunion since. But anyway, anyway, this guy comes up to me before church and he asked me to do, asked me to do his, his funeral. And I said, uh, I said well, you know, it depends how much you're going to pay me. And I said, of course, I'll do it. Um, but I said, I said, Pete, it's going to be a really sad day. And I loved his response. He said, he said maybe for you, but not for me. And, and that's the mindset of Christians. Because we're confident. We, we know this to be true. A buried body is a seed that will rise. Glorify. The difference between a graveyard and a garden is what you plant. And Jesus turns graves into gardens because his followers will rise. And that thought should cause our hearts to leap a little. See, right now we find ourselves in an in-between time. Throughout Scripture, we're called, it's called the last days that we're in. It's like we're living on the Saturday before Jesus' resurrection. Jesus resurrected Sunday morning. It's like we're living on Saturday. Just in confusion, trying to figure things out. Some of us walked in here having a hard time to walk in physically, just, just physically drained. Some of our families go home after church on Sunday and they have lunch and there's an empty chair at the table. Some this last week heard that they might have cancer. And some in our church might hear it this week. And some are dealing with anxiety and depression and there's pain and there's confusion. We're living on Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Shalom comes in the morning. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Brokenness to glory, weakness to strength. It's God's punctuation mark on his work. It's just what he does. I believe in it. And I believe in life everlasting. The rope goes on and on and on and on and on. Paul continues, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on Immortality. Imperishable here is a, is a fun word. It's the, it's the Greek word, ephtharsia, uh, which means incorruptible. Incorruptible, which is it's, it's the exact opposite of Illinois politics. Our, our body is a seed in the ground, and it will rise absolutely uncorruptible with this distaste for sin. One common question that I, that I get um, when it comes to the afterlife is, uh, you know, like, Junior, we're, we're going to go... Um, live in, in a sinless place again, you know, like the Garden of Eden. But what happens if we screw that up again? Like, what happens if, if we fall again? Like, we're really good at screwing things up, you know? So 
what if we take the fruit again? Like, if John Knauss is going to be there, how can we trust John not to pick the fruit again? <laughs> and the answer to that is it's, gonna, it's going to be impossible. It's like uh, when I was a kid, um, it was a 30-minute drive out to my, my country Christian school, uh, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. So every day, you know, you're in the car for, for an hour, and it got pretty boring. And this is before, you know, iPads and, and whatnot. My parents listened to terrible music, so there's just really nothing to do. And do uh, you remember the, the cigarette lighters in cars? Remember these things? Like, there's a little button you would push, and then the metal rings inside would get really hot. And then, you know, and then you could light your cigarette. These things were awesome. I mean, super safe, great idea all around. You could burn yourself and give yourself cancer. It's just, you know, it's it great. And by the way, I'm showing pictures because some have never seen this ever before. Like, this is before millennials bubble wrapped everything. But anyway, anyway we're, we're in the car, and, uh, and, and I'm bored, and I, I want to see how hot I can get this, this cigarette lighter. So I keep pushing it in, and, and you know, I keep popping out, pushing it back in, and I got 30 minutes to do this. So I, I took it out, and, and the, the metal rings are hot. Something about me, I, I'm very much an idiot, mainly because I have to test things. I have to touch things. I have to, like, check under the hood. I have to test it. So I looked at the metal rings. I got to touch this. So I, I touched my thumb to it. Burned myself. Like, I seared my thumb. That sucker hurt. I, and we didn't have an ice pack. We're driving in the car. So I'm, like, pressing my, my thumb against the glass, you know, crying away. Every time I saw and still see a cigarette lighter in a car, I get PTSD. I don't want that thing around me. Like, get it away from me. I, I, I didn't want to see it. That's how our incorruptible bodies are going to view sin. We don't want that anymore. We've already been burned by it before. We, we've seen the effects, and now we're experiencing life without it. Get it away from us. There's a serious distaste, like a PTSD, from sin. Our resurrected bodies will have that. But also, incorruptible meaning aging. So throw the wrinkle creams away, no more covering up age spots or getting the lifts and all that. It, it, it's crazy. Our, uh, our nation right now is on track to spend uh, $60 billion this year on anti-aging products. $60 billion. F fighting the wrinkles. Fighting the gray. I don't get fighting the gray. The gray hair is awesome. Some of you ladies, when you guys came back from um, COVID, remember when the salons weren't open? Some of you came back in with uh, gray hair. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. But it looked good. I don't know why you covered it back up. It was looking, some of you were looking really cool with it. Nicole likes to point out the gray that's coming to my beard and the sides of my head. She doesn't have one gray hair, my wife, not one. I thought it was because of who she lives with. I'm a breeze to live with. Her, on the other hand, three daughters, that's why I got the gray. The other night, we were, uh, I, I, uh, the girls had my phone, and they went on the Bridge app. And on the Bridge app, you can go back like almost a decade and watch sermons from like 10 years ago. And, uh, and so my girls had my phone, and I guess they scrolled back like 10 years or whatever. I don't know how they did this, but... But they were looking at, they were watching sermons of me from, from 2013, 2014, and they're just like laughing away. And, and they're showing me, and my wife is laughing. I don't think I look all that different. I really, I really don't. I'm not just saying that. I really don't. And so I, we screenshotted it just to show. And so they're laughing away. I don't, again, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's like that bad. It's not like, it's not like this right here. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Some people think that I say weird things. Wait till I'm that age. Then I can get away with anything. But they're looking at this, and they're, you know, they're laughing away. Oh, Daddy got really old. Daddy got really old. It's like, yeah, you guys did that to me. If you think I'm old, you guys. Like, case in point, last week we went for a family walk after dinner. And one of my daughters, she goes, can we walk down that street, Daddy? I was like, why? She's like, well, a cute boy lives down that street. It's like, we're going back home? You're going back into the basement for 30 years. This is why I'm getting gray. Our resurrected bodies are incorruptible. Time will not take a toll on them. Kids will not take a toll on them. Our bodies are incorruptible, imperishable, 
immortal. And just beyond our own somewhat shallow desire for incorruptible, wrinkle-free bodies, there is this craving and this fascination in you for life beyond this, a thought that you can't shake, and that is God's mark on you. To actually think about the afterlife, it's actually God's image in you. No other creature has this at all, and it's a biological thing, really. It's like my dog. dog, Her name's Luna. You'd think with four girls in the house I'd get a male dog. No. She's pretty awesome, though. She's a, she'd be a good hunting dog. But her, her bed, her bed is right by my nightstand. And um, the other night I, when I uh, went to bed, I, I, you know, I was turning off my, my lamp, and I saw her laying in her bed, and she was just staring at the wall. I was like, what is she thinking about? She's just staring at the wall. Well, I can tell you what she's not thinking about. What's the meaning in all this? Is there life after this? No, she's just thinking about squirrels and you know, rabbits and her next meal. Like, there's no thought of the afterlife at all because she's not created in the image of God. She's just an ugly, dumb mutt. We, on the other <laughs> PETA. we, on the other hand, have this, fasc- this fascination with the idea of the afterlife. For, the, for some reason, our mind just keeps going to life everlasting. Every once in a while, you ever catch yourself thinking about that? Life after this. No other creature does this. We do. And that's God's image in you. And that's often dismissed by the scientific world. Like the whole idea of a soul afterlife, it's more dismissed by the scientific world. And I get it because you can't really test it. However, uh, recently, the world-renowned uh, scientist Robert Lanza used the cover of Time magazine a while back. He's the leading scientist in stem cell research. IQ is, I guess, that of Einstein. So he's a brilliant, influential scientist. He, offered, he authored the book uh, Biocentrism, which I have not read because it's way over my head. But in this book, I, I checked out the cliff notes, which got me through college. But in this book, he, he outlines, he, he basically battles popular opinion. And the popular prevailing thought in the scientific world is that uh, life is made from material. So material gives us life. The physical is all that you can test, and so the physical is what gives us uh, life. And, and that's, so that's a prevailing thought. Robert Lanza in this book says, no, that's bull. He lays out biological evidence saying the opposite, that life gives us material. That life came first, then the physical. And he doesn't lay out religious uh, evidence. It's all biological evidence. It's fascinating research, but he lays out biological evidence of a soul, of an immaterial part of you that groans for an afterlife. And that immaterial part of you, God's image in you, it stirs, it longs for the rest of the rope. So it's a thought that we can't shake because God put a craving in in, in creation for its creator. It's that store tag. Ecclesiastes 3.11 had it perfectly when it says he has also set eternity in the human heart. There's a fascination in you, a longing for eternity, and God has put that in your heart. And deep down, we know everlasting life, if it's true, everlasting life is everything. This is why we can't shake the thought. If there's actually everlasting life, if there's life after this, well, then that's everything. If the rope goes on forever and ever and ever and ever, that's everything. The little purple part is so small. Yet this little purple part is so significant because this little purple part sets me up for the rest of the rope. To quote one of the best movies of all time, Gladiator. Remember this quote? I love this quote. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And Maximus is right on. That thought has been programmed into our hearts. There's an eternity. And what we're doing right now, what you're going to do this afternoon, what you're going to do this week, is going to send echoes into your eternity. We know that. We, we feel that. God set that in our heart. Problem is we can't really wrap our minds around that. It's like me laying in bed as a little kid. I can't even wrap my mind around everlasting life. We still can. The verse in Ecclesiastes goes on. He said eternity in the human heart. Yet 
No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can't fathom from beginning to end. It's almost unsettling to even try. And so we just tend to focus on what we can quantify, this life, the little purple part. And so we just say, oh, you know what, we'll just figure out the rest of the rope when we get there, I guess. But in the meantime, as we're just focusing on the purple part, saying, oh, we'll just figure out eternity later on, we're just living like atheists in the meantime. Our life is all about this life, nothing more. Like, yeah, I believe in God. I love Jesus. I'm sure the rope goes on. Scripture tells me that. But my mind and my passion and my time, it's just all going to go into this little part. We're so focused on the dash between our birthday and our death day, so minuscule, just a little sliver of your existence. Meanwhile, God is saying, man, you got so much more. I said it in your heart, and your life should reflect the belief in this. How many of, of, of us, our eggs are just all in one basket? This life. That's it. Last February, Nicole and I took the girls for a week to South Florida. And there's a family in our church who uh, had an empty condo, and, and so they offered it to us. And so we're like, yeah, say no more, we're there. And so, so we went down, we just had a blast. You know, we, we love the ocean, snorkeling, seashells, and all that. And my youngest, she was three at the time, she wanted to make a sandcastle one afternoon as we were at the beach. And so she's digging, you know, piling up, piling up sand. Until a wave, like the tide came in, and a wave just like flattened it. She was devastated. Stupid ocean! <laughs> but how many of us are doing that, though? We're just spending our whole life building a little sandcastle. Now, your sandcastle is uh, your image. And it's a nice image. I gotta hand it to you. You look good. The gray's all covered up. Looks good. Or your sandcastle is a company. And it's impressive. You know, you went from nothing, and now you're hiring teams of staff. Or your sandcastle is your nest egg, and it's good. You know, you got investments that are diversified. You know, you're working hard, and the accounts, the zeros are proof of it. But at some point, the tide comes in. And then what do you do? Then what do you do? What do you do when it's all over? How much of your hope and your investments and your passion and your time is in some little powerless sandcastle on the edge of the ocean? Yeah, I can't get away from the thought that when you actually live for eternity, you live radically. Because your sights are set on eternity. And so you love in this life radically, and you give in this life radically, and you serve in this life radically. You live radically. It's all about storing up treasure in heaven. The vast majority of people live their lives trying not to think about the end. This is why when you go to a funeral today, we don't sprinkle the, the dirt on the casket. Instead, you'll notice the, the mound of dirt next to the grave is covered in green carpet. We don't even want to look at the dirt. We don't want to think about the end. Vast majority of people spend their lives trying not to think about the end. We live with the end in mind because we realize the day is coming when we are planted in the ground. The wave on eternity's shore is coming. We're okay with it, though. In fact, we're more than okay with it. Bring it on. Because it's then we meet our reward, the sweet, sweet rest of the rope. And we're ready for that. But how many of us woke up this morning with our minds completely, fully on this little purple part? It's all we've ever thought about. Oh, man, I, I'm going to work so hard here so that I can really enjoy this little tiny part right here. I'm going to save so much so I can enjoy this time. Great, okay, good. What about the rest of the rope, though? And we teach our kids this mentality. 
unintentionally we're teaching our kids this. Spending money in, in evenings and in weekends, all this time and money, teaching them how to throw a ball. That's great. But are you being as intentional and spending as much energy teaching them how to follow Jesus? Like, yeah, they got a great spiral, but what does that matter a million years from now? Because they're going to stand before God too. And they got the rest of their rope as well. How many of us are just living tragedies? We got the business, we got the title, we got the body, we got the family, we got the cars, we got the house, we got the vacations, and all that is fine and great. There's nothing wrong with that. The tragedy is, other than all of that, how many of our lives, they just don't count. They're just wasted. They don't count for anything beyond it. Nothing to show for when the wave comes. Just living like atheists as if this is it. You and I were created, we were designed to live with the end in mind, storing up treasure in heaven. That's what this life is all about. The next, today, I'm sending echoes into eternity. That's why some of, our, some of us have great lives, but we're living tragedies, living for the little purple part with no thought, how is this affecting, what echo am I sending a million years from now? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.